and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the book of Luke. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm going to start us off with a really interesting question. I thought you were going to say... Honestly, I thought you were going to say a riddle or a poem. Is that just the tone of your voice? I thought you were going to say, I'm going to start us with a riddle. When have or maybe I a poem. ever done that? Well, when have you ever introduced like that? Yeah, that's it just, true. The tone of your <laughs> voice set me up. I literally thought you were going to start with a riddle. That would have been hilarious. Now I feel like I need to start you with should. a riddle. That would be epic. Maybe next time. Okay. Well, I was going to say, everyone, think to yourselves, does Andrew have glasses? People are trying to picture my face right now. Yeah. Or maybe they're like, man, this is a whole nother side of him. We didn't even know. It feels like you are leading people into either now not knowing what I look like, or it feels like you're going to introduce that I just got glasses or something. (laughs) Well, yeah, none of that. None of that's true. Andrew doesn't have glasses. I don't. Surprise, surprise. I know. But I wonder how many people thought, oh, I think you might have glasses. I know. I'm wondering that too. I bet. I bet a decent amount. Right? Yeah, but people that listen to this who's probably in our church see me up front every single they're staring at my face. Yeah, but I mean all the time. I see Bailey a fair amount and I never knew that she had glasses. You guys, I just found out this morning that Andrew's wife has glasses and I was just mind blown. We always thought we were friends, but apparently not. <laughs> apparently I just don't know. know that. I wonder how many people let's look it up right now. How many people in the world have glasses? What do you think? How many people in the like, world? Sorry, percentage, percentage wise. 38. Okay. And the Vision Council of America claims that about 75% of the adult population worldwide uses vision correction products and 64% wears glasses. That's a lot. Do you think that's always been the case? That three fourths of humanity has needed some sort of help with their vision? I can't be true. I was going to say, I would be shocked if that were the case because then a lot of people just didn't get the help that they need. That's just wild. But maybe, maybe just forever, people weren't wearing glasses and they're just blind. Blind. Yeah, that sounds horrible. How many people on our staff team wear glasses? Daniel, Steve? Steve He doesn't, right? Jordan does. No, but Jordan, actually, Jordan doesn't. They're just blue light glasses for when she looks at her computer. So just so she still Sydney. needs vision help or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Does Kim? Is any of this actually going to go so. on the podcast? <laughs> is this helpful? I think it will, but we probably should move on. Anyway, we'll have to take a poll next time because if the majority of our staff team does not have glasses, that's kind of incredible. Well, how can this stat be true then? If we're saying neither of us do, most of our staff don't, then how is 75 free? Where's all these other people? <laughs> That's a great question. Maybe we just need to find someone who needs glasses and we'll put them on our staff team to be more representative of the world <laughs> population. Gonna, <laughs> I've been off. I thought you were going to say something like, we're going to gift them a pair of glasses or something. Oh my but word. No. This will be an interesting episode. We are not on the same say, page We are not. Well, we'll see how this goes. But today we're talking about the book of Luke. And as you know, we have been going through the New Testament and giving an over overview of each of the New Testament books so that they are more approachable. And our hope is that you can leave this episode with a better grasp of Luke, how to read it, and what to take away from it so that when you approach the book on your own, you can approach it with confidence 
and enjoy it. Is Luke your favorite gospel? I don't know if it's my favorite gospel. I don't know if I have a favorite. Do you? Um, That's like picking a favorite child, you know? Well, I guess it's not at all. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, there's one you probably relate most to. You're ch- yeah. well, a child that you relate most to and probably a gospel that you relate most to. Do you have a favorite gospel? No. Oh, see? Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, Probably in some ways Matthew because we've been studying it for so long. But also now that we're getting toward the end, I'm kind of over it and I want to <laughs> like do something new. And yeah. so, and John is just different, which we'll talk about next episode. Yeah, I probably would have said John because it is so different. But because our church has been going through Matthew, it's been really fun to yeah. learn more about it. So the book of Luke is probably written by Luke. I don't know if you believe that, Andrew. Do you believe that it's written by Luke? Well, to be honest, before we started studying for this, I just assumed that we knew that it was Luke who wrote it. I had never really given much thought on the debate around if he wrote it or not. I did find out, it seems like in church history, it's almost universally been considered written by Luke, even though he doesn't actually say that. There is no authorship given in the book, which was kind of surprising mm-hmm. to me because I've read through it. I guess I just assumed that Luke somehow said that he wrote it and didn't know that that's a little bit of a debate. Although I did find it feels like it's only been a debate kind of in the last couple hundred right. years. It feels like early church, most of church history has pretty unanimously considered it to be Luke, which do you mm-hmm. know why? Like, why did people point to it being Luke rather than obviously anybody else? Yeah. When I was looking it up, it was talking about how. The text is very educated. The author was really familiar with writing and polished Greek and had a great, excellent understanding of the politics and the culture in that region. And for them or the early church, that just perfectly coincided with what they knew about Luke. And so they could pretty much confidently say that it was written by Luke. And we do know that Luke and Acts are written by the same person. And in Acts, there is parts of Paul's journey where the author uses we language, like we went here or then this happened to us and we did this or whatever. So we do know it is one of his companions during that section of his life. And I think through different study and pointing to different things, it appears as if Luke is the best option for that. Uh, Also, one of the things is we know Luke was a physician and Luke and Acts both are highly like medical. Like you will see a lot of physical healings and specific details within that that line up with it being not only a a person of certain intellect and status, but also somebody who appears as if they are in some sort of medical field or has medical knowledge or at least medical interest to point out those things more than other gospel writers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned this or asked this question on the last episode or maybe the episode before that of why does it matter that we talk about the author? Do we really even need to know the author? What would you say to that now that you've had time to think about it a little bit? Yeah, I have kind of always assumed, I think probably I was taught this early on somehow, but assumed that we needed to know who the author was or else we couldn't know if it's true or it's right or if it should be in the Bible or or questions like that, which I do think is somewhat important to know who and when wrote some of these books. But I do think as of late, I've been a little bit more persuaded by the reality that if the authors themselves don't tell us, I guess I don't know if it should be that important to us. I think it's important to some extent, but the, that feeling of 
I need to know who wrote it or else the book's truth or importance kind of falls with it. I I don't know if that's true, but I do think it probably, we talked, I, I think it probably helps give a little bit of context and maybe some like color to the book to help you see it clear maybe. But I don't know that if we aren't sure that it's Luke, that that means we can't trust Luke. And I think that was kind of my default in the past. See, that's where my mind would have gone to the idea that, well, if we don't know who wrote it, then it's probably not valid. But why would you say that it doesn't really matter? Like, how do we know that it's true then if we don't really have an understanding of the author? Well, I did find one quote as I was kind of looking this up by a guy who wrote a Luke commentary. His name's Howard Marshall. And he said, if the gospel rests on sound tradition faithfully recorded, the name of its author is of secondary importance. So he's saying the truth of it is not so much in the human author, but in the divine author. So we believe that all scripture is given to us by God, breathed out by God, and that he is the primary author, although he's working through humans that are writing these things. And I do think the basis of the gospel or the account is true or false based on itself. This is a retelling of that to us. And so I don't know that it's like the most important thing to know who wrote it. I do think there are reasons why it's important to know, let's say Luke wrote it, which would really then be, we can assume, part of Paul's influence on writing it. And he is an apostle and he has been given the task of writing scripture as we see throughout the New Testament. And so I do think it's important to know that they probably did this in conjunction if they're working as missionaries together. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of Luke's account, he even says he didn't see it, but he went to eyewitnesses and is telling their story. So even if it's Luke or I think it is Luke, I don't really have any doubts about that, but let's say it's Barnabas or Timothy, one of Paul's other companions. Either way, what Luke is telling us is that he went to eyewitnesses to get the accounts of Jesus. And then probably through Acts, a lot of those same eyewitnesses, Paul and some of his journeys, and he's compiling this into a trustworthy account, he Mm. says, so that you can believe that these things are true, not just because Luke, the doctor wrote it, but because he compiled what all these eyewitnesses have seen and said about the life of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. Hmm. That's good. Refute it. Well, this might go down a different path, but I think the thing that I thought of immediately as you were talking is, well, then why are the books like the Maccabees or other books within the New Testament canon not included? Is that based on authorship? Because if it's just the fact that it was divinely inspired, how are you supposed to know if it's divinely inspired or not? This is a bigger question. That's actually in the Old Testament. Oh. The Maccabees would be in the end of the Old Testament. Is it Testament. the Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene's account uh, or something? What's the yeah, one in the New Gospel Testament? Yeah, Gospel of Thomas. Okay. There's a bunch of like different ones. That is a great question and probably a longer answer is needed than what I could do right now. I would just say a couple quick things is, one, our New Testament letters are written by either the apostles or people that had either the apostle stories or eyewitness accounts. And so for somebody who wrote 150 years later, it's pretty universally said that's not deemed as scripture because we need an apostle's authority on it. 
as well as if you read, let's say, the Gospel of Thomas, which is a New Testament account of Jesus's life, if you actually read that, almost everyone would say, yeah, that's not the same as what we have in these four Gospels. It tells some things are similar, some things are radically different, and some of the things that is taught in there just doesn't even coincide with the other Gospels. And so if you were to read, just for instance, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Thomas, you would for sure see why Thomas just doesn't fit within the other three. Now, John is also unique, which we'll talk about next time, but the stories, the theology, and the themes all fit still, where Mm. some of these other letters, they just don't. And so there's a lot of different reasons why those are just a couple quick ones. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I think that's good because I'm sitting here thinking, well, then how did those end up? But we'll probably have a longer discussion on that. If people are interested, we'll do another episode on that. Yeah, send us an email. If you don't send us an email, it will just die. And so I need you guys to send us an email. But yeah, no, I think that's helpful. But going back a little bit, you had mentioned that the books, Luke and Acts, are both written the same way. And they're written to someone known as Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? That's another interesting debate. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's basically two ideas. So it comes in Luke 1, 3. Luke says, well, we think Luke says, Yeah. (laughs) it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke basically gives us both the purpose of the book and this person, Theophilus, or most excellent Theophilus, is the primary audience. Now, we know a couple things. One, it says that he's writing for this person to have certainty about what they've been taught. So that it seems as if whoever Theophilus is already has some information about Jesus or the gospel story. And Luke is writing an orderly account so that they can know for sure that this is true. There's really two views on who Theophilus might be. One is that this is some sort of government official. Most of that comes from the phrase like most excellent Theophilus, that's usually how you would address a Roman official or a leader in some sort of government position. But what's interesting is that that word Theophilus, maybe you can kind of tell just by that phrase, but Theo or Theos uh, means God and Philio means love. And so Theophilus actually means like lover of God, Hmm. which is an interesting thing then to have this like Roman official. Now it could just be that this is like a code name for a government official and that's why he phrased it that way. The other view is that this is written essentially to anyone who is a lover of God. Hmm. And the most excellent piece is essentially almost this ironic paradoxical phrase of, Roman officials, people with power are most excellent Caesar, most excellent Augustus or whatever. But he's saying whoever is a lover of God is the true most excellent one or the true holy one or important one. I'm a little bit persuaded towards that option because of the word Theophilus. I think that kind of points me in that direction as well as What Luke does throughout his book is he's kind of changing how we view people and class systems and the lowly. And it seems to make sense to me to almost be the subversion of you think those who are most excellent are people in power, Mm. but really this excellence and this priority comes to those 
who are lovers of God. And so I lean that way, but Mm -hmm. I don't have a huge conviction that that's true. I think either way, you have someone who is a lover of God who Luke wants you to be sure that you can believe that this gospel and this person, Jesus, really is the Christ and the one who brings salvation to Mm. all. Yeah, and that second example that you gave that you had said you'd probably lean more into that one, I feel like coincides really well with just the overall goal and purpose of Luke as Luke shows how Jesus focuses his ministry on the outcasts, the lowly, women, Gentiles, Samaritans, tax collectors, people who are regarded as not excellent, but who are fully loved and deeply loved by the Lord and who turn to him. Yeah, I think that is a helpful point. So what we're trying to do in these episodes is give people starters or helps to get into the book of Luke. I think those things are really important to know. If you read through both what we talked about earlier with this most likely being Luke, who is a physician, read through with that in mind and all the stories of healings and the precision about uh, certain medical conditions, it'll like kind of pop off the page to you. But also what you just said, if you read it with that in mind, that he's trying to do this like subversion of power and show how it's not just certain Jews, a certain ethnicity, a certain people group, a certain social standing that the gospel is available to, but that salvation really is for all people. And he goes out of his way to show how Jesus is drawn Mm. to the poor and the lowly and the outcast and those who are seen as not worthy or not excellent. Uh, Those stories also will just like pop off the page. It's just all over the place. You see these little phrases or the particular stories that Luke tells are with that in mind. Mm -hmm, Totally. Yeah, I would say that that's probably the most important thing. And I think if you had nothing other than that to go off of, that would be the most helpful thing to read Luke, to see the precision, to see the detail, but then to really see how Jesus inverts this power structure in order to honor and give life essentially to those who were other. Okay, so within that though, Raven, give a little bit of, just like as people look at the whole book of Luke, is there like a really broad outline for people to get their minds around or like the flow of his story that's helpful for people to know? Yeah. So the, you know, thousand foot overview would be, it goes Jesus' birth, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Pretty simple. I know. Easy. But I feel like just hearing that outline, it's like, okay, cool, sweet. Like, why does that matter? So I feel like it is helpful to have a deeper layer. But for that deeper layer, Andrew, I'm going to have you share about it because you talked about this chiastic structure before we recorded. And I do think that's helpful. But bear with us because it's going to be a little bit confusing if you've never heard of it before. But I do think it's really cool and helpful when you read the book. It's way easier to grasp visually uh, than just hearing it. But Help people first, what's a chiasm or what's a chiastic structure? Okay, so a chiasm is a literary device or something that we use in writing where a sequence or a list of ideas is presented and then it's repeated but in reverse order. And the reason that happens is because it's all pointing to the center thing. And whatever the center thing is, is the most important yeah, so think of the, what is it, the less than yes. little sign, right? So it has the two points that are far away from each other, and they slowly go in until mm-hmm. they meet at the end at a point. Right. 
that's essentially a chiasm where in writing you start in one place and you slowly get to this like centerpiece of the story and then you slowly go back out in a corresponding fashion which means every point both leading to the middle and every point going away from the middle connect yep great explanation Mm -hmm. okay i feel like that's a good visual of it so here's what's crazy so we know that luke and acts are put together as two volumes but luke acts actually has a chiastic structure or a chiasm to it so again i don't know how helpful this is going to be but hopefully you can grasp some of this if you read through the book of luke it starts with this really high level picture of it talks about caesar and rome and the census which makes jesus be born in bethlehem like all these stories really high level you even have this again maybe this point to Roman power with the most excellent Theophilus, all that stuff is really high level kind of Roman stuff. Mm -hmm. That then throughout the book of Luke begins to hone in and you see ministry that Jesus does in Galilee, which is this large region that hones into the place of Samaria, then Judea. And then he gets to Jerusalem, which is like his main ministry point. And the centerpiece of that is then what you said, that death and resurrection scene. So this like cross and what Jesus is doing. You talked about inverting power. The cross is like the pinnacle sign of that. So Luke basically moves from really high level Rome down to the region, down to Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem to the cross. And that's kind of where the centerpiece is. When you go to Acts, Acts begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then if you remember, Acts begins to span back out. So then it goes to Jerusalem. They have ministry in Jerusalem, but then it begins to scatter and spread. And so it goes out to Judea and then it goes out to Samaria. And then you Mm -hmm. hear about people in Galilee all the way until you get the very end of the book. Paul is in Rome wanting to get the gospel to go forward. So what's crazy is that throughout Luke and Acts, you have this chiasm starting big in Rome honing into the cross, and then Acts basically takes the cross and zooms all the way back out to the world. And I think what Luke is doing with that is he is trying to say what we said earlier, salvation is for all people. This is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just for good religious people. It's not for wealthy people. It's not just for men. It's not just for any group of people. Salvation is for all. And in Luke, he starts by showing you kind of the world. He hones into the cross saying this is like, the pinnacle point of world history. And then in Acts, he begins to go back out saying this salvation, again, is not just for Jews, not just for Israel, but now it's spreading out all the way to Rome again. And so I think that cross and resurrection being the centerpiece is showing this is the new like power symbol of Christ that he gave himself up. He died on the cross. He was risen again. And that salvation story is for all people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just so cool because everything that you just said One, it furthers the purpose of what he's trying to communicate and a deeper understanding of who Christ is and what he's come for and what he's done for all of us. But also it's just so intentional in the way that he wrote. It's something that you don't necessarily see when you look at it for face value. But then when you really study it and look into it, it's like, oh my goodness, these are intricately connected and they point to the cross and what Jesus came to do and also to the world, which he came to save. Yeah, which just helps us understand that purpose that you mentioned earlier of that, that this really is what Luke is doing. And with that in mind, 
I think it can always help as you're reading through any book, but say the Gospel of Luke, these stories aren't random. They're not just things that he kind of heard. This is a, as he said, an orderly account. Like he put these things very intentionally together for us to see those themes and to grapple with or wrestle with that idea, which we all have certain prejudices and ways that we see power and people and the world. And he is trying to give us a different account of a life of following Jesus does look a little bit different in how we view people, how we view ourselves and who this gospel really is for. And so I think that should shape then how we read the gospel of Luke. But I also wonder for you, Raven, hearing all of that, just helping people grasp like a practical application from that, like anything else that you would say is important for us to take away. If all of that is true about the purpose and structure and author, how should that change or what's any application to somebody now reading through the gospel according to Luke? I would say practically after listening to all this, I would encourage you to open your Bible and start looking for those things that we mentioned. Look for how Luke writes specifically to Theophilus and what that looks like, who his audience is. Look at the detailed stories. We have stories about Jesus healing various people. You have the story about the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son and the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you look at these, focus on how Luke is showing Christ and God's love and compassion, even when we are unfaithful, or his love and his compassion, even for the marginalized or the insignificant or the foreigner. That will give way more depth and color to what you're reading as you focus on, okay, why is this included? Why is this in here? And also, how does Luke explain this in order to show Christ's compassion for not only others, but also for us as those who were sinners and have been brought in by grace? Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.